everyone. So today we're back on EEM with a new episode and a new incredible guest, Ali Shapiro. Hi, Ali. How are you? Oh, I'm well. How are you, Marilyn? Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm so excited to have you, Ali. So I, I want you to tell a lot about yourself. I'm just going to introduce you quickly. So you're a creator of Truth With Food. You, you're the host of the Insatiable podcast. And also you have a link if you want in terms of personal, professional and academic background to all of what you do. So in your own words and with your own like, you know, ingredients and spices, tell us more about yourself. <laughs> I love that you used a food metaphor. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true actually. I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> well, I think that will talk to a lot of what I'm going to speak to a lot of what I'm going to talk about, um, the metaphor of food. So I think the best place to start my story is probably close to 20 years ago. Um, I had found functional nutrition, which is very popular today, but it was ve very much in its infancy. And what functional nutrition, functional medicine does is say, is, let's look at the root cause of physical problems. And at the time I had, I was struggling with irritable bowel syndrome, acne that would not go away. I tried antibiotics, Accutane. Um, I had also tried all these meds for my IBS and I was really struggling with depression. And I was also binging and emotionally eating. And I thought that all of my depression and IBS was because I was weak with food or whatnot. And what I eventually found through functional nutrition that was that a lot of my issues were caused by gut health. And my gut had been destroyed uh, 10 years prior because I had had cancer as a teenager. And um, cancer, the chemotherapy, the steroids really destroyed my gut health, but we didn't have language for gut health back then. Um, and it also made my emotional eating, like it, I, went, I went from like dieting at age eight to then emotionally eating after cancer. And then when I went away to college, it turned into binging. And when I learned about functional nutrition and that food could be medicine, not just calories, it was like this freedom. Um, and I was able to reverse my acne, my IBS, my depression, the, the constant depression that I felt had lifted. And I thought, this is amazing. Um, and then I couldn't keep it up when I was stressed. <laughs> so like um, in the cancer world, we call it scanxiety season. So when I would schedule my appointments, go for the appointments, wait for the results, I was binging on sugar. And I was like, why am I doing this? I know now that cancer feeds on sugar. Like, why am I doing this? And I feel so amazing. Um, so that was like, that's like one example of stress. And so I was like, why can't I keep this up? And at the time I had started seeing clients on the side in functional nutrition and we were doing grocery store tours. This was before people knew what quinoa was, kale, just trying to get them off processed foods. And I found out my clients were struggling with emotional eating. Like I had so much shame. I just thought it was just me. And I noticed that after about the fourth session, we would stop talking about food. Um, but I didn't know what was working. It wasn't about the food. Why were they falling off track when they were feeling so good? So I went back to grad school at the University of Pennsylvania to really study, take a, take a root cause resolution to emotional eating the way that I had done with nutrition. Okay, maybe depression, 
irritable bowel syndrome and acne are symptoms, not these permanent diagnoses. So what if falling off track and emotional eating is a symptom? What is the root cause of that? And that is where my work was born out of and really understanding that food represents safety to us. Um, And I can talk more about that, but that has been uh, basically my story. Um, And really now I have a truce with food, meaning I don't fight food at all. Um, I have a really healthy relationship with it. I can uh, use it to support me medically. I mean, medically sounds so, but through my health, it's, I I, I joke, moderation is the new radical. It's not diet culture. (laughs) It's not eat whatever you want. um, Cause that didn't work for me. I have really sensitive blood sugar as I know you understand blood sugar well. So it's really this like moderate, moderate place where we can use food to support our health, but we don't go crazy about it. And we can be consistent, but also have a very healthy relationship when we want to have birthday cake or whatnot. So I'll stop talking. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I guess that's, uh, it's really interesting what you're saying. And first, like so courageous for the whole cancer issue and everything. So well done. And I, I'm sure it would give a lot of hope to people listening, you know, like, uh, oh, thank like 30 you. years ago. So, wow. Yeah. It's almost 30 years ago for you, isn't it? 31, 31 yeah. and a half now. Yeah. I can't believe it. Like it, it it's, it's wild. To yeah. think like most of my life has been as a post-cancer instead yeah. of, you know. That's really nice. And and then questions for diabetes and depression. Did you have like a diagnosis from physicians? Because a, lo- a long time ago, like 20 years ago, it was also not known uh, like or taboo to talk about depression. And definitely IBS was really not, uh, I'm assuming it was not known. It wasn't. In fact, I got my first colonoscopy at age 22 because I just said, I'm coming in with, I have heartburn. I have, I have gas. I have bloating. It's like, I have a lot of issues. (laughs) And, um, they gave me a colonoscopy because of my cancer history. And my mom has had colon cancer and they found a polyp, but they were like, I don't know, take antacids. And I would later find out that for me, my IBS was actually not having enough stomach acid. So I was making it worse um, using the antacids. Yeah. And the depression, you know, I, I cycled through many different antidepressants. I was seeing therapists and it was very, very like, I didn't tell anyone because therapy was not, um, like so taboo. it was so taboo. Yes. So I appreciate you saying that because I, it was a really different world than it is now to try to get better. Um, so and it still is a bit in some countries, like uh, I have a lot of people saying to me, oh, I don't need therapy. Thank God I'm not there yet. It's like for yeah. them, therapy is like really like, you know, if you're really, really effed up, you know? Yeah. That's such a good point. Culturally. Yeah. It's, it's so different based on where you are in yeah. the world. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of hodgepodge. This seems to work. This doesn't, you know, it was, um, it was a really hard time that I, I think sometimes I forget how hard it was because the information I even tell people like even newspapers in the U S didn't have health sections at the time. Like yeah. there was, so, you know, now you go on Instagram and you can get like too much information, but yeah. this was just like, you know, and that was one of the things when I went to my holistic nutrition school, where I found functional medicine, I was just like, why doesn't anyone know about this? Like, this is incredible. And, um, 
you know, there's a lot of reasons for that, but part of it was, it was just in its infancy and just trying to become evidence-based and more information. But, and I just found, you know, I found someone, um, Jackie Doyle, who is an acupuncturist. She's in Philadelphia where I used to live, uh, in new functional medicine and helped me get off gluten. It, it took a while cause I was binging on other sugary stuff because of the restriction, Um, but really just did some simple stuff, not very elaborate of what functional medicine is today. Um, but did some simple stuff and gut health takes a while, but it really, it really freed me from, from understanding what was happening, but not the emotional eating. (laughs) It improved it, but not, not, it improved it, but it didn't resolve it. (laughs) Yeah. I have so many questions about, I will talk later, um, in the episode about functional, uh, how do you call it? Functional eating for nutrition? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's functional medicine, functional nutrition. It's it's just a way of looking at food as medicine yeah. to address fatigue, Hashimoto's, depression. And I do want to be clear because there is some people think, um, you know, for me, it resolved a lot of my depression. I have clients who their diets can help, but they still need medication. It's so sometimes in the functional nutrition world, there can be claims of you just need to do this. So I want to be clear that diet can be a tool. It's not always the only tool. Yeah. Let's talk more about this functional medicine. I also want to talk just for the listeners to just a sneak peek of what's coming. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk also about like a method or like an anagram that you have. It's called tail, which is, which is also all the reasons that we do, we go to food. But first, something you said in the intro that really like sparked my attention was you talked about moderation and there is almost like for me what I how I feel about myself and uh, I think listeners as well it's like the like it's like the tyranny of moderation as you said it's like the new cool word how do you do it when you know and you spoke about scan scanxiety and like I'm sure other people have other reasons why their phases where they have more anxiety. How, how, yeah, do you you feel the aim is to always be through moderation or within moderation, you will have ups and downs? Yeah, well, I think moderation is contextual. So I think it looks different. Um, And what I always say to my clients is we're not, to really heal your relationship to food, it's not like, oh, am I perfect? It's like, have I done better than I did in the past? And the work that I really had them do is, is understand the emotional reasons that maybe they ate out of alignment with their goals. So for example, you know, we have American Thanksgiving coming up and it's like, sometimes you just want to eat a lot of pie, you know, like one day of that, who cares? Right. Um, But it's when it becomes, you're turning to pie all the time that you don't really want to be doing it. So I think moderation is, a lot of people just focus on the food and food rules. And I think it's understanding how do I keep my blood sugar balanced so that I can, um, so that I can eat moderately. Because if you go into a party, right. And you're starving and the first thing you eat is a drink or, or sugar, you're going to be hungrier and it's going to be really hard to be moderate. Um, so it's about blood sugar, but then it's also about what are the emotional triggers that are making you not be able to be moderate. Um, and so I think it's it's looking at it holistically 
of why moderation is so challenging. Um, yeah. And for a, a lot of people, just the idea, they, they've internalized so many food rules um, that even if they're like, oh, I, you know, if they've heard that it's good to eat before you go to a party, right? And mm -hmm. then they don't, they can't do that because they ran out of time. Then they already feel like inadequate and that they've failed. And then they're eating because they couldn't follow a rule that maybe wasn't flexible for their real life. And then they're eating because of this inadequacy sense um, because they didn't follow the food rule. So yeah, it's like you're linking back to perfectionism, as you were saying. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have an episode on that, actually. Yeah, I think perfectionism is very linked to emotional eating. Yeah, well, it's a safety strategy, yeah. right? People think they're perfectionists, but it's like, no, that's a strategy to make you feel safe that you're going to get, you know, recognized and there will be no criticism, no judgment, you know, so it's, it's a total safety strategy. I totally, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, since we're talking about safety, let's talk about your tail. Uh, uh, you like is it is it called anagram? How do you call it in English? Like, cause yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think anagram. I got a blanking. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna Google it while you talk. No, I'll Google it later. I'll put it somewhere in the show notes if people are or if people are interested, they can send me a DM and tell me what is you know the word T A. I L tail you called it and every yes something so let's let's uh, kick uh, let's get into it what does uh, each letter stand for and how can they help the listeners yeah so I just want to first take a step back and tell people what I mean about food as safety so that the tail triggers are make sense to them so a lot of what we see in the emotional eating space in the coaching space is what we would call behavioral science. So if you are overeating, we're looking at, oh, it's the food behavior that we need to correct. So don't keep food in the house, keep food in the house, right? Like, so what ends up happening with that is more rules. And my approach is to take a, a developmental step back and look at it relationally or emotionally. So saying what need is, is this emotional eating satisfying? And so it's looking at the emotional eating as why does this make sense rather than why are you doing this? Let's control you more. And if we need to control you more, we need more rules. So it's a much more holistic perspective. So yeah, when you're I, not like, you're not going against it. You're going with it, I guess. Yes. The yeah. same way that my depression and irritable bowel syndrome and acne made sense because my gut needed repaired. Your eating makes sense because there is some safety need that isn't being met. And I'll, this is where the tale makes sense. So as children um, and young adolescents, safety is really about feeling um, like we are going to be chosen by our caretakers um, to survive, right? Chosen by our peers so that we are included. The developmental leap that we have to make um, and the invitation in emotional eating is us starting to say, what do I choose? What is important to me? And it may be different than my caretakers, my peers, my work environment. So now the tail, I think the tail triggers will yeah. make a lot more sense with that it's very, background. It's very relevant. And I just want to repeat it because I think this will change a lot of, you know, like if your listeners remember it, you said, what 
what do I want to consider as bringing me safety? That's maybe not what my caregivers uh, taught me, like uh, told me that, you know, it's very, very interesting. And I think in a lot of culture, for example, I come from a culture where you really follow the elders, you know, even if when you're an adult, you just follow what the elders say and think and everything. And you don't, uh, you don't think for yourself. So basically you're saying yeah. just for yourself, use your adult, adult brain. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and I think for, again, it developmentally, you don't want to come out of your early twenties with no moral compass, right? So yeah. following your elders and everything has really worked really following, you know, if you, if people have worked and tried diets, right. Diets work at first, you get attention, you feel great. Right. So it's like, it's like, again, there's grains of truth to this, not saying that you have to be in diet culture, not saying that we want to discard everything the elders say, but when we are in our early adolescence, we think, oh, that is right or wrong. That is good and bad. You know, like I thought being a vegetarian as a cancer survivor was good, but I was having crazy sugar cravings and, and I wasn't even eat. I was eating like soy dogs. Right. And it's like, actually my body needs meat. So that's just one way of saying, it doesn't mean I shouldn't eat vegetables and try to get more plants in, but for me, you know, and so, but that is a deeper relational way of being able to trust in satisfaction instead of restriction. So mm -hmm. the relational need, um, the emotional need was to feel satisfied, right? And so when our emotional needs aren't met, we turn to food. So it's the tail- What you're saying, because I feel in the health world now, especially on social media and online, it's like very binary with right or wrong. And what you're saying is like very in the in-between, which in general life is in the between. So yeah, thank you for that. Yes. Well, and I like that you pointed that out because it requires developmental work to not be black and white. Yeah. Like most people, like, again, it's a developmental standpoint. And I mean, there's some controversy over this, but developmental psychologists think that about 60% of adults will never leave the, the binary, right? Because the only way that you would, you would consider and have to develop is if you have what's called an optimal conflict. And food is an optimal conflict. It's something that, oh my God, this is causing me pain every day. It's interfering with my life. And then you also need the right support to overcome it. So otherwise it's just conflict. <laughs> so, um, so that's why I always say food is this invitation into a more expansive understanding of other choices that we have. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I always say to my clients again, first, rather than beating yourself up or thinking you need more control or rules when you're overeating, emotionally eating, the first thing you want to say is, why does this make sense? What just practice reorienting to this makes sense. Um, even for you, myself, even though I've been working on this for years, yeah. <laughs> I think it's still gonna like work. I think whether you're advanced or very early, it always, you always need to hear it. Totally. So, you know, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it also, you know, physiologically over, even if you don't believe it at first, the more you see that this works, the more it relaxes you for more insight. So, cause what we're also trying to do emotionally is repair our relationship with ourselves, right? Like my clients are like, how can I not feed, like basically know how to feed myself and eat well. It's like, yeah, cause there are so many conflicting messages. So why does this make sense? And then when you start thinking about, Ooh, 
you know, some of my clients, they're like, I start fantasizing at three o'clock when I'm going to eat at night, or I'm at a work. I just got off a work call and I just want to go to the candy dish. Um, or I'm about to pick my kids up and I want to eat the trail mix in the fridge, you know, and in the beginning, in a way, how is it protecting me? Well, what you want to ask is when you start, I, I call it food noise. Um, when you start thinking of that food noise, you want to say what's at the tail end of this. So we're trying to get to the root cause. So what emotional trigger is happening? And T stands for tired. A stands for anxious, which is usually uncertainty coming from the outside. So if you think of COVID, right, a lot of people emotionally ate because oh my God, what is this virus? What are the rules? All of my communities, at least, you know, there's a lockdown, all of my routines are going away. Right. So that's uncertainty when it comes, hits you from the outside. I is inadequacy. And that's when we feel that's when the call's coming from inside the house. Like, why do I feel too much or not enough? And then the last one is loneliness and loneliness. It's really important for those of us who struggle with food it can feel very, we can feel very separate. And we think it's, you know, because you eat in so many different contexts and situations and loneliness is when your social needs are not being met. So you could be around other people and feel very separate and alone if you can't share your full self. So asking, why does this make sense? What's at the tail end of this? And then once you can identify the trigger, and it may be, there may be one or two together, right? But focusing on the one that's the most accessible is thinking about what is the need that I have there that needs to be met. So for example, um, tiredness, usually as we're growing up as kids, right? We are rewarded with food, right? <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. I'm just thinking as a life example, I've had a rough uh, summer, very busy and everything. So I think, and uh, my emotional eating or my, yeah, a uh, not good eating, you know, all the things that we shouldn't say, but we say to ourselves, yeah, checked <laughs> in. I think it was a bit, uh, most of it was tired. As you said, it was a combination, a bit of anxious, but tired a lot. So uh, uh, yeah, we can follow this example with me. Yeah, let's follow. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So it it's tiredness, right? And as kids um, and, and as, you know, teenagers, usually like I ask, ask listeners and I'm going to ask you, like, can you, you think of times when you were a kid where you were rewarded with food? Oh, I, for me, it's hard. I, deep down, there is a sense that yes, but also a preteen, I I was, um, no, actually I was. Okay, basically the story is everyone wanted me to lose weight. So I was always put on a diet, you know, but in big meet, in big events like Christmas or my birthday or uh, when things were rough and tough, yes, there was food. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that would probably be the uncertainty, right? Yeah. Like, oh my God, like this is, yeah. I'll get to that. But often, at least here in the States, and maybe this will, you know, people realize like, oh, if you, if you left the playground when you didn't want to, you were given, you were like, well, go get you cookies. Mm. Or like when I was afraid to jump off the diving board, my dad yeah. was like, well, go to Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, after the dentist. Yes. After the dentist, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is you, so funny. <laughs> yes, exactly. You, 
they do it here. It's like, oh, you go to the doctor. Do you want a lollipop? So when you do things you don't really want to, you're rewarded, right? Yeah. So that, and again, we need significance. We need to feel like we're doing a good, like we need to feel recognized. Um, So as adults, when we're still, when we're tired, we don't honor that we need rest. We say, no, I will treat myself with food. That is the reward um, because I want, I still want to feel significant. I still want to do a good job. Right. And so rather than resting, we feel like if we rest, we're not going to be seen as significant. We're not going to accomplish. And so it's like, it makes sense though. Then we use food to be the reward. Well, I just did all of this to get the accomplishment. Um, or, a lot of people use food, especially sugar, to give them energy to keep going. It's funny, I just did an episode on this, and these were my thoughts. I wasn't 100% sure that everyone would agree, like, uh, you know, because this is my experience, but th- this is what I feel. And I've had this experience recently when I launched my journal. So tired, 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 tired. It's not that I went to sugary food, but I didn't have the headspace to okay, really think, okay, what do I need? Do I really need this or not, etc.? Well, and I love that you bring that up because people think that, you know, tiredness is just sleep, but there's actually seven different types of rest we need. And mental rest is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. There's emotion. And this is from uh, Jordan Maney, um, who is a coach in the States, um, introduced me to this concept and I'm forgetting the woman, a doctor, you Google a Ted talk, there's seven types of rest, but creative rest is one of them, emotional rest. And so I I love that you bring this up because so many of my clients realize like, oh my God, I am so much more tired than I realize. Like this is such a trigger. And when you're so exhausted all the time, it's hard to realize that you're as tired as you are, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so true. And when it's mental, like, or emotional or stuff in the head, I guess your adrenal glands and everything is like kicked in because there is a danger, but your body, it's not that your muscles are tired. Like when you like, or you're like sleep deprived, it's another time you feel it differently in your body. Yes. Yes. And, and we need actually physical rest too, which is there's active rest where you're like walking or exercising. And then there's also like yoga and, you know, I do legs up the wall sometimes (laughs) before I run to get my I used to love this when I was younger. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So we're often, and we need sensory rest as a huge one, right? If you're on the computer all day, um, on social media. Yeah. 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 I also yeah. have an that on that because I'm I I also I'm very sensitive to sound. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow! I'm like the perfect case for you, like today. <laughs> it wasn't planned. <laughs> but I think this will be so helpful for people, right? Because this is yeah. so um in our world, you know, especially because again, rest is seen as not productive. And so it's like, I don't need that, you know. It's like I will just in the the temporary the temporary salve is like, well, I'm accomplishing, I'm getting my journal done in this case, or, you know, I got to get the kids or whatever it is. So, so there's an unmet need for rest there. Right. So like we first have to just see like, oh, this is not about the food. (laughs) The food is the solution, not the problem. So then when it comes to uncertainty, and again, we need to feel significant. We need to feel proud of what we've done. It's just not doing it, we're doing it constantly is the, is the issue, right? 
So then a anxiousness. So you brought up about during hard times, right? So I asked people think about when there was a lot of uncertainty, maybe it was chronic, um, or not in your life. Right. And when food and you kind of answered it, right. Um, when things were hard, some of my clients came from like very chaotic households and food was the thing that they would go out to eat and everyone would get along you know, at the time. It's so true. I had, I had a chaotic childhood and I think it was not so obvious that they would like, sometimes of course, um, every now and then they would bring food in uncertain times, but also modeling your, you see your parents coping unconsciously. I think it's, it was a role model. Okay. I see my mom eating pasta when she's not well. So I record this. What, 100%. And again, in cultures forever, food is used to help during thresholds, right? Like birthdays, funerals, right? Like celebrations. Yeah, yeah. Funerals, yeah, it's very good. Yes, yeah. thresholds of, but the problem is, is that there's a, and it orients us, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's a really healthy thing. But when it becomes chronic uncertainty and we don't know how to ground and root without mm-hmm. food, food yeah. will be the most accessible way to do that. Um, so again, with uncertainty, I always think of, okay, we need some sort of structure around that. Right. And again, on the surface, it looks like diets would provide that, right. If we take it very concretely to food, it's like, oh my God, if I feel out of control around food, if I feel out of control around life, I need more control, but what we need is flexible structure. Right. So like one of the questions I have my clients ask themselves when things are uncertain, it's like, what's essential. Like what, what, what has to happen so that you feel resilient and capable, you know? And so maybe it's like one or two health things, but then also what do you emotionally need to Mm. knock off your to-do list? What do you need to, maybe you need to extend a timeline, but if something is all of a sudden comes and gets you and comes and gets you, that's not the word, but, but knocks you off your game, you know, like, um, I'm, you know, I'm thinking like, when my son, he did not sleep well for two years. So it was like, okay, is the day going to be rested or not? It's like, okay, what is essential? Like really essential. And that can help be that flexible structure of this is what I need to do for my health. Like, you know, and for me, it's always get my blood sugar balanced and then everything else I can't worry about, but this helps me show up. And and that's another great question is not the outcome, but how do I want to show up? in this uncertainty can give us some sort of agency control, self-determination amongst a really chaotic um, time, you know, yeah. in our lives. How about the subtle like uncertainties, like which are I think very common every day. Like, I don't know, you might be late to a meeting, uh, you, I don't know, you, your inbox is full and you're not sure if there's something like really important that you haven't done. You know, all those everyday small things you know someone has to go to the doctor to do a checkup but it's small you know all those small things yeah what do you do to ground yourself um yeah yeah well I think yeah yeah, I think this is more um like strategic but can also be tactical so this goes back to the beginning where I said the chance to figure out what safety means as an adult is like what do I choose what's important to me here. So I think it's asking ourselves, we can't do everything that's coming at us. And it's having a decision-making filter that's aligned with our values, right. And the season of our life. Right. So like, for example, my son is going to turn four in a couple of weeks, 
But this, the last four years, he's had to be the priority, right? Like my work has had to slow down. Um, Again, some people, you know, with the kind of help that we had, you know, everyone has different situations, but I did not, I wanted him to be the priority. And I'm not saying that's the right thing for everyone. Right. And I also have a certain amount of privilege and, and not, and also don't have certain privileges. So I want to acknowledge all of that, but we have to see with like, what is important to me at this time. And that includes in those emails, like, is this something that I have to take care of? (laughs) Is this, is this like the hill I want to die on? (laughs) That's like also often when I'm asking myself, you know, because I care a lot about a lot of issues and it's like, I can't care about everything. It matters to me to make a deep impact. So yeah, what do I stick- just say this. I had an episode on anxiety with a therapist from, she's called Emma from Therapy in a Nutshell, talking about anxiety. And she said, uh, also define your core values. I mean, it was like almost more than a year ago. So I hope I'm making it justice. So, but define your core, core values. And if you have small stressors, like for example, things like that, um, that you know, it's not going to take a risk on you like a big risk in your life, just do it and overcome it. And uh, just will doing it or overcoming it or going through it, will it, will it be aligned to your values? If yes, just go through it. That's what she was saying. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Cause we, yeah. And this pulls into like the tiredness. We only all have so much energy and capacity in a day. Mm-hmm. Right. I know you're in the UK, you know, but in America, our culture is there's no limits, like yeah. whatever. You know, also it, it, in, yeah. And, it's, and that actually makes us anxious too. Yeah, right. Yeah, you can do like if you, you think want. about, I mean, we've both. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah mean, you can be whatever you want. There's this thing. And then you're like, Oh, okay. Then, then I have to be everything. If I can be everything. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, I always bring it back to like, again, my, to- my son is a toddler and it's like, he feels safe when there's boundaries. When I say, look, I'm going to sit here and let you have your feelings. And we're still, we still have to go home. I know it's hard for you. And how can we make it easier? Right. So it's like boundaries make, and that is why I think people are attracted to diets in the first place. Mm-hmm. They offer boundaries. The problem is the boundaries are too rigid. Like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like an yeah. invisible parent. Well, and it's funny you should say that because a lot of times we think our thoughts are our own, but they are what we saw modeled. The voices in our head are our parents, our peers' work of no, you're good, bad. Like you have to earn your goodness versus, you know, no, it makes sense. You're you're good. You're all good. Like we just need to help you develop along, you know. So then the next one is inadequacy. Right. And, and I, think so- I was thinking of it and sorry, like I talk a lot. I, when we were preparing it. for the podcast, I was like saying to Ali, no, I let my guests talk and everything. But it's so interesting <laughs> that I have so many comments. Um, it's just, in, I was thinking inadequacy. I've worked so much on it because I really felt inadequate uh, for a long time that now I think it doesn't uh, create emotional eating in me, I think. Yeah, no, I think tired is the most for me now. So just for the listeners out there, because I just also want to be vulnerable. So the listeners don't think that, oh, you know, like, uh, you know, some people are oh, like overcame it and will never struggle. No, it's like a journey and it's like it, layers. Yeah, totally, totally, yeah. totally. It's I say it's a process that becomes a practice and practices. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you have to, you know, whip them out. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Yeah, so, it's it's so- I'm listening. I yeah. So if you think about, and this is where we often use food for comfort. And again, often it's weaponized of like, don't food is fuel. Don't act for it as comfort. 
But if you think about when you are first born, right, you have two, two survival needs to be touched and to be fed and nature in its brilliant design. And I have to give Dr. Deborah McNamara, she has a new book out called Nourished. She really talks about this, that food is really that the belonging associated with food is actually, they've proven in neuroscience more important. She talks about this in her book. So nature couples food with belonging, with safety, right? With the safety that we're, this physical safety, but also you're chosen. Your caretaker cares about you and being hungry is uncomfortable. And so you're receiving food with comfort. And food, again, comfort food isn't bad when it's helping us through hard times. When, um, you know, I I think about, I, my family is uh, Slovenian, part Slovenian. And it's like, when I'm sick, my grandma would always make us fenugreek tea with lemon and honey. And she's like, it's from the old country. And so like, when I'm drinking that, I'm like, I could get emotional. Like I'm feeling, cause she's passed away. Like I'm feeling yeah. her, you know, like it's- It's so funny. Like- I had the same story. A few few weeks ago, I, I was like feeling uh, like things were really rough. And like, as I said, they're launching the journal. Like, I think actually I said I overcame inadequacy, but I think there was a bit of inadequacy deep down. And then we went to a restaurant and we had uh, chicken and the spices reminded me exactly of the recipe of my grandmother. And I felt, oh, someone's here. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh my God, I got yeah. chills. I, yeah. Someone is there. Yeah. Right. And I highly recommend her book, Nourish, but she talks about, um, and we know this from food companies exploit this, but scents are connected to emotion. And so as we're growing up, right, we don't start narrating our lives until we're five or six. So it's like everything is sensory. Mm. Everything is emotional um, in those first five, six years. And so like you being able to feel that, thank God you had that, right? Like, thank Oh, wow. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Isn't it? It's like, and then we, and then we weaponize that against people. Now, again, we don't want to be turning to food for every time we feel inadequate and need comfortable comfort. But this is again, part of where we start to say, okay, maybe it's not me. How do I get more information? Because when we're feeling inadequate, we often build things up. Um, and we tell ourselves things like I should have already known this or, you know, oh my God, you know, a lot of my clients will procrastinate on a work thing and then they eat and then they do everything at the last minute. Right. Yeah. It's like, how do I want to get momentum on this? And this is where a lot of perfectionism comes in. So I'm not going to pretend it goes away overnight, but just being like, what do I need to feel supported is a really good question to ask yourself on whatever is making you feel inadequate because, for a lot of us, and again, I can only speak to American culture, but I grew up in the eighties when we were bad, we had timeouts or we were sent to our room and we were really taught that. Yeah. We were really taught that when you're struggling, you go at it alone. So a really great question is to ask what support do I need? Yeah. And then the last one is loneliness. And again, think about how food connects us, right? Like Food is a great tool to help us feel connected, right? Um, Can you think of times from your childhood or young adulthood? I mean, I think about my friends in high school, whenever it was one of our birthdays, we would go out to eat and we would celebrate or, you know, know, on Saturdays, we would go and get brunch. You know, it's like, we food is important to be connection. (laughs) Yeah, the example, again, it goes back to my grandmother where I feel 
and she was like the mater like my mother like she she was alive but my grandmother was the the maternal figure in my life she was so special to me and I felt really seen by her uh, you know when you feel like as you say sometimes you are with people yeah. but you're alone but with her I wasn't even if we were not talking you know not saying anything sitting next to each other and yeah her food and her recipes yeah I think they bring yeah, yeah. Well, I love that you bring that up because you could really trust her as a caretaker. Yeah. Right. Right. And so it's like, oh, I feel connected. I feel comfort. It's in the caretaking, not the food. And so when we often feel alone, again, we feel like we have to go at it alone versus, or we punish ourselves versus saying, like, you could ask, Marilyn, you could say, how would my grandma take care of me when I'm feeling oh, alone? Man. Well, I'm going right? to cry. You and I are going to cry. <laughs> right it's like oh, I know the answer right but the answer yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. sometimes so, you think in the silence because she was she 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 did she had two moods either talk non-stop or not talk at all but not talk at all we would sit and like it's just the presence you know this presence I don't know so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and you could say what would she what would she tell me right now you know mm -hmm. and, and maybe eat something with spices right and it's like yeah. oh my god that emotion and scent is connected. And I'm fed on this soul emotional level that we're, that is invisible, but really matters when it comes to emotional eating. Um, and so those are the tail triggers. And I hope people now have some ideas of tools and questions, because it's going to be different in each context, right? If you're feeling alone in your parenting, right? You can't go to your kid. You got to go to yeah. like another mom who yeah. understands, right? But if you're feeling alone at work or with friends, right? There's different things that have to happen. So it's not about specific habits or behaviors, but the questions that unearth the needs that need to be met. And what happens is the sense of safety that we develop is I got my own back and not that I have to do this alone, but I know how to tune into myself and get my needs met often in relation with other people, um, but that I am not going to abandon myself and I belong, you know, to myself. Oh, so so nice. that's what happens. In the yeah. Yeah. And it's then really the aligned to what I, uh, it's really aligned to what I believe in, what I do and what I feel. And it's really nice that it, like you come from such a compassionate place, a place of with yes. non-judgment. This is how it should be. Yes. 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 Yeah. I mean, we have needs. It's okay. We're not yeah. needy. Right. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of people since I, you know, I launched my podcast and everything like they, they think because I talk about overcoming emotional eating and they're like, emotional eating is bad. I'm like, no, it's neither good nor bad. As long as it, if it serves you, it's, you can classify it in good. If it doesn't serve you and hinders your life and you do it every day and you cannot cope with life, uh, other than with food then at this time like I don't like to quote it as like bad but no it's time to work on it so it's, it could be good as well I I love that you said that you know it's like um we recently had the end of summer here and my son um we didn't do a lot of ice cream and I was like I just kind of felt like I was like do you want to go get ice cream and he's like yeah. yeah and I'm like that could be classified as emotional eating yeah. Like, yeah. you know I mean I split a serving with him but it was yeah. like 
but so that was an emotion I wanted to share with him. Like end of summer, like we, it's ice cream. I feel like we eat ice cream. We should be eating ice cream in the summer. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And it's like, what's the goal for you? Everyone individual has a goal. Like as I said for you, it's monitoring your uh, not having too low blood sugar. For me, it's not having too high blood sugar. If someone else is like in complete other goal, like this half of ice cream or whatever will, will it really hinder your goal and it's like no it's it does probably it's not gonna have like i mean for me maybe with the pre-diabetes yes it will affect my glucose levels but maybe once like you know as you say it's not uh, if you don't do it every every day then yeah it's not gonna hinder well and also it's like you know i asked him to go right after lunch right so i had full stomach and then i made sure we walked right to bring the because i mean I don't want to sound like I always feed my kids sugar, but it was like, okay, we ate lunch. We got the, the full fat ice cream, not frozen yogurt. That's full of glucose. You oh, know, yeah, he just yeah, had yeah, vanilla yeah. with sprinkles. We got the small sides. So, and then we walked, you know, 15 minutes. I mean, it was only like 10 minutes and I had to carry him most of the way, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like, okay, I know how to bring my levels down so I can still do this in a healthy way. And, and it's the intention. Yes. Is, some people say I'm like possessed by the eating. It's like, no, the goal is you do it with intention. You like, you're conscious of your decision. Yeah. But I want to say the possession is that I would look at that as just an accumulation of needs not being met. And so, you know, it's over time, you know, I tell my clients this tail acronym in the beginning, you're going to ask yourself after yeah. the fact right? It's just this automatic pilot, this insatiableness, which is why my podcast, it is really, it's almost like you've been deprived of needs the way that you would like restrict food, right? You've been restricted of your needs getting met. And so it's, you have to gradually just, you know, satiate them. Um, And so in the beginning, you'll just maybe after the fact, or you could even look at like a really hard week of eating that you had, go back and ask yourself this, right? And it's all a learning process to uncover, you know, what our needs are. And they most, they come down to feeling significant. They come down to feeling connect, like intimately connected, not just like shallowly connected. Um, and to, to belonging, feeling like we matter and we can take Uh risks. You know, Gabor Mate. Oh yes. I love his work. Attachment and authenticity. Yes. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're working on is attaching to ourself and yeah. con- and con- counting on ourself so that we can um we can feel that safety and that security. Yeah, so true. Okay, it's so interesting. I could talk about it for hours, but I promise the listeners we're going to talk about the other topic which is functional nutrition. So let's yeah. tell me a little bit or a lot about it. Yeah, well, I think I think what it essentially comes down to is understanding what foods work for your blood sugar control and your gut health. So when I think of functional nutrition, I think of it as looking through the lens. Now we just talked about question for you. This is for everyone or like gut health and blood sugar is everyone or for people that have problems in the gut. Oh, I think everybody. Yeah. I think everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I I love that you asked that because, you know, I've been doing this for 16 years and the, even the first year I was like, blood sugar matters for everybody. Now we have continuous glucose monitors. I mean, it's gotten really complicated. Um, but your blood sugar controls your hormones, controls your sleep or influences, I should say. Um, so I really think of functional nutrition as looking again, we want to, food can be connection. It can be, um, 
it can be caretaking. It can be all of these things and it can also be medicine. And it's one of the most powerful preventative medicine tools we have. And so when people are trying to figure out what foods work for me, they can use their blood sugar control and their gut health as a discernment tool, right? So if you're having, you know, a ton of, if you never feel satisfied, if you have, I think working on blood sugar is the best place to start because how you eat at one meal will set up how you feel for the next couple of hours. And that's blood sugar, whereas gut health is much more of a long-term process. And you help when you work on one, you work on the other. So if you are having, a, if you feel never satisfied, if you're having cravings, it doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're broken. It means you're not eating the right foods for your body. Um, so I have on my website, a breakfast experiment that people can take if they want. Um, I, I, I can send you the link. I, I didn't think I'd talk about this. Yeah, so I don't have it in the show notes, Yeah, yes. but I do. Everything is experimental so that my clients can realize their bodies will tell them. Um, I don't want to be another authority in their lives telling them what to do. Yeah, so true, um, so because I had so many, so, but I completely agree with you just uh, on, on a side note, uh, just quickly, like, yeah, I had gestational diabetes. So I had to do all the tests and everything. And after every meal, I had to monitor my glucose level. So I, 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 I see where you're going and I think it, it makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, but, so, it, and I will say to your question of like, who should be monitoring this? The important thing is because so many of us who struggle with emotional eating tie everything back to weight loss and calories, even if we don't, you're not going to magically not think of that. And so rather than I want people to take one step further from the numbers, but connecting it to, does my mood feel calm? Do I feel like I have more energy? Do I feel satisfied? Do my cravings disappear? So again, this trusting in being taken taken care of being satisfied rather than restriction is, is this making my life easier when I eat this, not harder? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to trust in that if we haven't, you know, if we've dieted, if we, you know, haven't had our needs met as, as children, um, and as young adults, it's not all about our parents. And again, none of this is to blame our parents, our parents, all, I think most parents do the best they can. It's just to understand what we're dealing with. Um, because if you think just the diet culture is all about being adequate, like loved and everything. Yeah. It, so what you're saying also is being adequate. Like if your mood is good and everything, also it would bring, bring adequacy to yourself. Like if you have more energy and everything. Totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so like in this breakfast experiment that I have, you know, it, it's basically like you do two different breakfasts. You do one that's like eggs with, I think there's avocado in there or some healthy fats. Then you do one that's steel cut oats or quinoa, whatever you have access to, something that's more carb-based and eat the two different ones. And then if they do the breakfast experiment, you'll see, I give you more specifically what to track. But again, I just said, it's like moods, absence of cravings, absence of mood swings. And it's like, you should arrive at the next meal, you know, comfortably hungry, but not starving. You want to, you would probably arrive at the next meal. If your blood sugar is balanced, wanting to make the healthy choice, the healthy choice for you. But I have a lot of clients who they've worked with other people who are like, Oh, you need to be vegetarian. Oh, you need to cut out carbs. And it's like, no, most people, at least my clients, they, most of them need some animal protein. 
Most of them need more complex carbs than they're eating. Um, now we have enough people eating enough fat. In the beginning, people were not eating healthy fats. But now I work with a lot of women like over 40 and midlife. You really have to focus on protein and, and healthy carbs um, for, for muscle maintenance, for sleep, for all the hormonal changes. Um, but I don't, I can, I don't tell people this. I just give them experiments so that they can see like, oh my God, if I don't have like rice or potatoes or something at lunch, I want to take a nap and I'm, I'm craving something sweet two hours later. Okay. Then try the carbs. Oh my God. It makes my life so much easier. Right. So it's like, once you recognize how it really helps you feel better and more nurtured, it's, you start to want to want to do this stuff instead of trying to please me who you'll project another authority sense, you know, onto. And I don't, I don't want that. <laughs> no, that's good. Oh, so functional medicine for you is, or nutrition, functional nutrition is uh, glu uh, glucose level and gut health, which is good because, you know, there's uh, so much uh, online. It's like this very niche product that you only find in one place, which is like, take it and no, not cow, but goat and not she sheep, but goat, you like. Okay. It's a bit complicated, this thing, you know, so. <laughs> well, and I'm glad you brought up that example because what has happened now with functional medicine exploding is people think for a healthy gut, you need to restrict more and more and more, but actually the, all the research shows, I mean, I shouldn't say all the research, a significant amount of research shows that the healthy guts rest on a lot of variety actually. And so if you have to start continuing to cut out more and more foods, it means you're not getting to the root issue. So for example, for me to heal my IBS, I had to be off raw, raw tomatoes. Oh my God. Any tomatoes sent me in through heartburn. I had to get off gluten for a while. I had to get off dairy. Now I can eat all that stuff. You know, again, not, I don't do gluten all the time because it does make me tired, but it doesn't affect me the way that it used to, because my gut has healed. So all of this function, the other thing I'll say about functional nutrition is people have gotten it really complicated. If you are not eating a lot of vegetables consistently, you don't know what balances your blood sugar and you're not consistent, all the supplements, all the cleanses, all the detoxes, like you have to have the foundations, right? Um, so I would just plant that seed for people of like, yeah. do the stuff that's boring that you have, that is, is challenging. It's not easy, right. To be consistent if you're emotionally eating. Um, but work, you'll probably get more mileage if you work on that stuff, um, rather than spending all this money on testing that often may make you feel more pressured and then you're going to rebel. It's so true. So for gut health, uh, if you want to end up this episode, two things that you think are good for gut health and two things that you think, you know, no, we should avoid or. Uh, yeah. Two things. I think getting a ton of variety of foods, trying to eat seasonally can really help you do that. Um, so, you know, in America, and I'm guilty of this, you know, we eat like, I think the same eight to 12 foods, right? Our ancestors ate like, there was like hundreds of kinds of apples, you know? So trying to get more food variety is really important. And then the other thing that I think is important for gut health is learning to balance your blood sugar so that you don't overeat or emotionally eat. So I, I think about 50% of emotional eating is deregulated blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And also one other thing is eating, chewing your food. I mean, I've had clients get off heartburn medication from chewing food. I don't take people off meds, but they just didn't need it from oh. just chewing their food enough. Oh, interesting. 
and two things that so these are the I don't know so I think we did the good and the the bad. Any other advice for gut health? Yeah, I mean, I also think um, working on stress. You know, most people who have gut issues, autoimmune issues, they struggle with some sort of chronic stress. Um, and these tail patterns will help you with what's causing you chronic stress. Um, so I, again, I'm biased, but I think that the emotional work, it helps with the, the physical and the emotional. Um, yeah, so I yeah. Agree. Like therapy and everything. Do you think for chronic stress, what would you... I think working on these patterns because yeah. it's um, stress again, isn't inherently good or bad. It's how we think we have to respond to it and react to it. And most of us don't know how to take care of ourselves in the face of stress, which is then why we turn to food. So learning to identify our needs and realizing that, that it's not like put your oxygen mask on first. Um, it's more, where's the win-win? How, do, how does this help me show up better? Um, for the people that, that, and things that matter to me. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I really like how you're balanced and you're really like specific and things like you say, this is not control, it's influence and things like that. It really brings credibility to, to like, to what oh. you say. And I uh, appreciate that you appreciate uh, nuance because it's not popular out there on social yeah, media. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. And you don't want to be like, you cannot have one rule for everyone and one thing and you're so sure. And then what science has proven is that like we keep on learning so like yeah why be so sure when like yeah so no but is and for those people that want more of this credibility where can they find you yeah yeah so um they can at alishapiro.com um if you go to actually the work with me page there is that free breakfast experiment i can also send you the link for the show yeah. notes um and then i can also send people uh, in the show notes a link for them to do a coaching exercise that helps them identify their tail triggers um which one is the most prominent for them so yeah alishapiro.com and then i always send people to my podcast insatiable um, the last season was um, done around food as safety. So flushing this topic out even more deeply. And then I'm on Instagram at Ali, A-L-I-M, as in Marie Shapiro, S-H-A-P-I-R-O. Thank you very much, Ali. Thank you for having me, Marilyn. <laughs>